Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, if you do not have one, there may be one in the seat po- uh, under the seat in front of you, the row in front of you that you can use this morning to follow along. Uh, we've made our uh, way through the study of Hebrews, and we are to our last three chapters of Hebrews uh, coming up. So uh, we have been here for 16 weeks now, and uh, man, Hebrews have been a wonderful study. Uh, each and every week, I think it can't get any better, and sure enough, it gets better and better every week. Uh, it's just like built principle after principle, truth after truth. And uh, I really, uh, as I started ministry, really convicted of preaching through the Bible book by book and chapter by chapter, uh, because I believe that's a great way for us to study. It's a great way for us to be able to uh, preach the whole counsel of God. And uh, when you begin the study, it takes a little while to get into the groove and get into the context of it. But once you do, each and every week as it builds, there's so much power in the Word of God in context. And so this morning as we come to chapter 11, we are following along after we've already been through uh, the first 10 chapters and uh, just a couple of reminders from our study. First is our theme, Jesus is greater. And we know Wherever we are uh, in our life or whatever we have in our life, we know Jesus is greater. Jesus is better than where we have been, where we are going, or where we are right now. That no matter what we have in our life, we know Jesus is greater. And because He is greater, we should pursue Him with all our hearts. Pursue Him with all of our life. And uh, pursue Him uh, because He is worth it. And He is worthy. And my prayer above all, after this series, is that we come away understanding just how awesome Jesus really is. I mean, He really is. And just in His work that He is, His nature, and also in what He does in our life every single day. The second thing is the context of the book. Now, we talked a little bit about this as we have gone along, um, but it is hard to grasp sometimes because of the Hebrew nature or the Jewish nature of this book. Uh, They had believed the message of Jesus Christ, but historically... And nationally, they were Jews, and they lived this life. They had family members who had lived it for years and years and years. So they grew up with these things, and they understand and know the system of the law and the the way that the Jewish people would live this out, very familiar with this system. And in that, they had a lot of habits. They had a lot of tradition. They had a lot of history, and many of them still had a lot of family that were living out the Jewish faith. And so it was a very real temptation for them to turn back to their old ways. It was a temptation for them to revert back to the law. And some of them did. Some of them willingly left their commitment to Jesus and went back to the sacrifice of the bulls and the goats and all the rest as we have been reading about. And some of them had fallen away. And that left the church there with some questions. Is this really what Christianity is all about? Is this really what the message of Jesus Christ is, that you could profess Him publicly, but then walk away from Him, and then you are still part of the family of God? And the writer writes them to instruct them further. He says, I want to instruct you a little further, because in his writing, he explains to them, it's not Jesus plus anything else, and it's not Jesus minus anything. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you trust in Him alone. And it's your faith in Christ and your faith in Him alone. You cannot add to it the work sacrifices or the blood sacrifices. When you do that, you no longer are trusting in Jesus. 
It is either trusting in all of Jesus or trusting in none of Jesus. You cannot ride the fence. You can't have it both ways. You can't have your religion, your traditions, your good works, and feel like that is earning salvation before God because none of those things do. It is Jesus by faith and trust in Him or nothing. And when you think about it, for them, this was a very sobering matter. And last week we learned how sobering it was because this has eternal consequences. When people do not believe in Jesus Christ, there are eternal consequences to not trusting in Jesus. And so the writer in his writings give five very serious warnings. We have worked our way through them. We've worked our way through four of them. We still have one more to go. But you remember the first one was do not drift away. He tells them from the very start in chapter 2, he says, you're, you're, do not drift away from the things of God. So the word is a nautical term where a ship misses its harbor, where it gets pulled by the current. Uh, and so this current, their, their situation would have been uh, the current of going back to the way of the Jewish traditions. In our world today, it would be our world system of belief and the way that they trust in man more than God. And so as you stop proactively trusting and seeking after God, you begin to drift. And as you drift, you will get to a point to where you're not going to make it into harbor. You're not going to make it to where you should make it. Second warning was do not harden your hearts. That means you have clear warnings from God. You should not do this. Don't go this way. Don't do these things. But you harden your heart towards the voice of the Lord. You, you block out God's voice in your life. You begin to know it's wrong, but then you get to where you don't care that it's wrong. That you harden your heart to the conviction of God in your life. That's warning number two. Warning number three is do not fall away. So as you drift and as you harden your heart, you stop progressing in the Lord. And if you're not getting closer to God, you're moving further away from God. And so what happens is you get to a point to where the Bible says in Hebrews uh, chapter 6 that there were those who fall away, apostatize. That's literally uh, the word that he uses, which means to fall away from your commitment in Jesus Christ. So wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, if you are currently, consistently walking away from Jesus, you're in a dangerous, dangerous spot because you are falling away from the only thing that can save you, which is Jesus Christ. That was a great warning in Hebrews chapter 6. Then last week we talked about do not willfully sin. That was our warning number four. Do not walk down the path of making it a habit or continually not trusting in God. And as you do that, it brings eternal consequences into our life that we no longer trust in the sacrifice that Jesus had given for our sins and we will willfully sin against God and we will trample under our feet the very gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, if you were uh, guilty under the law for idolatry, how much more will you be guilty under the law of grace for trampling the message of Jesus Christ? So do not willfully sin to where it leads you away from God. But then in the end of chapter 10, the writer introduced a great principle. Matter of fact, it's a foundational principle. It's a foundational principle for anyone who wants to live a life well-pleasing to the Lord. Uh, he made a statement and that statement was, is built upon in chapter 11, chapter 12, and probably most of chapter 13 as well. It's a study that we will begin this week, and for the next several weeks, we will begin to unfold this principle. The writer gives us the faith principle. 
He tells us in chapter 10, verse 38, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now, uh, the word now means not something new, just the conclusion of everything I taught so far, I want to give you this principle. This concluding foundational principle. Now, kind of like the rules of algebra, you know? When your kids come home and they got the algebra homework and you think you're so smart and you do their homework for you and they bring it home and they say, look, Dad, you made an F, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's usually what happens, right? But the rules of algebra is clear. If you take the foundational rules and no matter how hard or how long the problem is, if you follow the principles, the equation can be solved and it will be solved. But you got to follow the principles. The writer is giving us a concluding principle. If you want to persevere in your walk with God, if you want to persevere into an overcoming, enduring faith, then you must have this faith principle in your life. With it, everything works. Without it, nothing works. A matter of fact, later on in Hebrews, he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Think about that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That means in your walk with God, if you don't have faith, you're not pleasing God. And this principle, as it works, it works everything. And everything that comes in your life can be solved regardless of how hard it is if you live by faith. If you believe, matter of fact, Jesus said all things are possible to those who what? Believe, right? That's the faith. And it says, now the, the just shall live by faith. The just. What is the, who is the just? We learn what justification is. Justification is those who have uh, received or believed on the name of Jesus Christ. When you come to a conclusion in your life that you have sinned and you are separated from God and there's no chance for you to be brought close, or brought close to God or into a relationship with God, save Jesus Christ and you trust in Him, you believe in His death, burial, and resurrection. When that happens and you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, at that moment you are made you are just, meaning that you are justified. One pastor said it's like, just as if you had never sinned. Judicially, before God, your sins are forgiven, you're declared in right standing before God, and you are born again into a new life. That is your new positional standing before the Lord. You are radically changed in your position. But then, that position must become your everyday life. That's where sanctification comes in. Salvation comes and declares you righteous before God, and then that righteousness begins to live out in your life through sanctification. That is bringing Jesus Christ to every area of your life. That's what sanctification is. And your life should be radically changed. Every single area of your life will be radically changed. And I know you're made right in heaven but now you're going to be made right in your heart on earth. The salvation will work itself out. I always like to say we all love the sweet by and by, right? But unfortunately, we live in the nasty now and now, okay, right? And so how do we get our standing before God as our, as our, our life today here on earth? The goal of your salvation is not to take you to heaven, if, if that was the goal, then when you got saved, God would take you straight there, right? Why leave you here? 
No, the goal is that you are to become more like Jesus Christ every single day until you stand before His presence in heaven. He wants us to live out this salvation before uh, man and before God. And as we live that out, we do that how? By faith. Those, who've been trusted, who, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ and declared righteous in heaven will now live by faith. And the salvation we have in heaven now becomes the salvation we live out here on earth. We're not talking about just saving faith, but persevering faith. Enduring faith. Faith that lasts. Faith that will bring you to the end. And he says we must live by faith. I love what he says here. You shall. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. He doesn't say try this for a couple months. If it doesn't work out, that's okay. No, he says this is the guiding principle for your life from now on is for you to live by faith. And you ask yourself, what is faith? Well, that's a good question. Are we living by faith? That's even a better question. And thirdly, how can I grow in my faith? That's even a better question in all three of those, right? But all questions we'll answer in the next few weeks. But first, I want to begin with the description of understanding what faith is. What is enduring faith that this writer is talking about? Look at Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read the first two verses today. We're going to start with verses 1 and verse 2. It says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, elders obtained a good testimony. Huh, what, a, what a wonderful introduction to faith, right? Verse 1 is a description of faith. Verse 2 is the witnesses of faith. Let's begin with a description. And notice I said description, not definition, because faith is one of those things you really can't define. All you can do is describe it, right? You can describe it, you can describe its attributes, but it's really hard to really get a good definition of what faith is. And faith is one of those things that you can, uh, that you can live out, but it is difficult to, to actually define. And so as we talk about living faith or persecution, uh, persevering faith, here's the two descriptions that he uses. Faith is substance of things hoped for. Substance of things hoped for. Second thing, faith is evidence of things not seen. So faith is substance. What does the word substance mean? Well, in Greek, it means epostas, which is translated substance, or it can be translated as confidence. Confidence in knowing or being sure of something, both of them carry the ideal of certainty. It carries the ideal of something solid or bedrock or something that is secure. Faith is not a feeling, right? You don't just have this faith feeling in your life. Faith is not a fairy tale. Have you ever heard people say, you just got to have enough faith, right? Persevering faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not psychological manipulation where you know what reality is, but you psychologically manipulate yourself to believe something other than reality. No, faith is substance. Faith is not a fairy tale. It is concrete. It is bedrock. It can be built upon. It is something that is in our soul. It is something that when you drill down into your heart, you hit a rock-solid bottom, and it's a confidence that's unshakable and unmovable because it's something that is so real, it has concrete depth to it. it is, you have confidence in this. You have this substance and this confidence of, of what? Of things hoped for. 
That means things that we are hoping for that we know has been given to us in Jesus Christ. The, 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 concrete, uh, the concrete, solid foundation of all the things that Christ has promised or God has promised. And regardless of what our current circumstance is, we have this unseated, I mean, we have this unconquerable or unshakable belief in God, substance to it. We have confidence because of what God has said and who God is. That's what faith is. And we know things that people, that we hope for, uh, and we have things we hope for in God, and the, co- the confidence we have is not because of who we are, but because of who God is. And the confidence we have comes from Him who promised it. Our faith is not a great faith, it's faith in a great God. Listen, it's not how big your faith is, it's how big your God is. Listen, other people can have faith in a lot of things. You know every single day you live by faith. On the way to church this morning, you live by faith. You live by faith, by principle, that when you hit the gas pedal, that your car was going to stop, right? You believe that by pressing that pedal, you had enough confidence to think that if I get up to 65 miles an hour, that if I hit this brake, it's going to slow down my car so that I can make this turn. You had faith in that thing. You have faith in your chairs right now. Now, Someone like me, I really have to have faith in chairs, right? When I look at them and sit down. But you have faith that that chair is able to hold you. Not one of you came in here and looked under the chair and examined what kind of uh, seating it was or what kind of metal it was. or what. You just automatically, by faith, knew or thought, this will take me and I could sit on this thing. That's exactly what he's saying with faith. It's the substance we have, not in what you see, but in who has said it. It's how big God is, not how big your faith is. Jesus said, if you have faith of a mustard seed. You know how small a mustard seed is? He said the faith of a mustard seed. The, the faith is small, but God is big. That's why it can be substance. That's why it's bedrock. You have confidence in God. Not in you, but in God. And that's the bedrock of your heart. That is saying no matter what comes into my life, I know it's not going to overwhelm who God is. Because I have a concrete evidence or concrete foundation that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. Matthew tells us in chapter 7 after the teachings, uh, I mean during the teaching of uh, Sermon on the Mount, he gives us an example. He gives us two foundations we can build our belief system on. He says, one, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You see the difference? The difference was the bedrock foundation. If you have faith that's going to survive, if you have faith that's going to be something that endures in your life, it's got to be faith in a big God. It can't be faith in yourself or faith in your faith or faith in other things. It's got to be bedrock foundation of faith in God and who He is. And that's a substance in your heart that will never be shaken. It is immovable. 
that the rain may come, the floods will come, and the winds can beat on your house, but it is solid and secure that you are trusting in God regardless of what your circumstances is. It's bedrock. So faith is a bedrock foundation. If I had to ask you this morning, in your heart of hearts, what is your foundation? Who are you really trusting in? If you were to examine your heart and drill down through the layers of your, of your heart and get past the points of all the answers you give people in your heart of hearts, who are you really trusting in? Who is the bedrock foundation, the substance that you should have there as the writer is saying that is sure and is secure with confidence is God himself. That should be your number one substance of your faith. Second thing is evidence. Faith is evidence, and that's the description of evidence uh, it is something that is simply proof. If you were to go to court, you would have to provide proof or evidence that your story is true. That means that you would not have an imaginary story, but you would have to give them some sort of concrete proof that your story really exists. And so what he's saying here is the evidence that he has of this faith, you have this concrete proof of things not seen, yet, bet, yet uh, rendered better is yet to see. So evidence that already exists so strongly that you are convicted or that you are convinced with, with confidence that they are a certainty in your heart because you know and you have been already proven, uh, they have been proven to you by God. So faith is the confident expectation that God will do what he promises because of the overwhelming evidence of his reality already proven throughout history and in your life. That's what faith is. Faith is saying that I trust in God with an unshakable and unmovable foundation because I have seen his evidence in throughout history and out throughout my life and that whatever he promises and his will for my life, I am going to persevere through anything and everything because I have that kind of faith. That's what faith is. And that's the way he says we must live that way. We must live in our lives with such obedience to God and confident expectation that regardless of our circumstances, we have a foundation that is unshakable. Now, I know that is easy preaching and hard living, right? I know that is something that I can stand up here and I can tell you uh, all these things in my life that I can live by faith and trust and for you as well. But it's hard living because many times we do live by sight, right? I mean, many times we, are, we lose our focus, and we can't see God and our faith begins to, to fall and we start to trust in things that we can see or things that are happening more than God himself. And we must trust in God more than what we see in this world. That's the battle that we have. You have to be so confident in the reality of God that the reality of this world does not affect your obedience to God. That you've got to be able to see through that with confident expectation. And as you know, the end of it all, all that matters is God and what he says and what he does. Listen, I, I, you guys know I love to watch college football. And uh, when I watch college football on TV, I get all tensed up and I get through the game. And many times you've heard me before, I give up on my team, right? My kids always tell me that. And lately, as bad as the Gators have been, I've been giving up on them a lot, right? And so throughout the game, I'll be so mad and so upset. And I get mad and I turn the channel or I go to some other room. 
And deep down inside, I really feel like maybe that might make them do better. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you don't watch or you go in the other room. And you know, every time that I do that and something good happens, I come out and say, see, every time I don't watch, they do good. And like they're really on the sideline going, okay, he's not watching. Let's do something good. You know what I mean? But, but I think it motivates them somehow. But anyhow, as I get so tense, I get so upset, I get to look, watching the game and then end up winning or losing, whatever it may be. But since it's not currently football season, SEC Network likes to play prior broadcast of games, right? And so they like to play the SEC championship games. They like to play the national championship games. And so they, every once in a while, have to get out the VHS back when the Gators were good, right? And so they had to get out these videos. In 2008, I can remember watching with my boys the first time when it came on. And there I was sitting there, and it came out, and they have all the, uh, you know, all the announcements talking about the game and how good Troy Smith is and all this, to going through this whole spill. And first, sure enough, first kickoff, Ohio State returns it all the way back for 100 yards. I can remember live watching that game. I threw my remote. I was so mad and so upset. I was thinking, oh, they're going to lose 40 to nothing, right? Well, from that point forward, Florida came back and won the game 40, uh, 41 to 14, I believe. And so as I was watching that, the boys were looking and saying, oh, wow, he scored a touchdown on the first place, 100 yards. I looked at him like, yeah, don't worry about that, though, right? Like, like I knew and I was confident because I knew what the outcome was going to be. I knew and I was the confidence that I had because I already knew that it was going to that it was going that they were going to win and I could watch it in peace with confidence and not one time did I get upset not one time did I not enjoy watching it every single play that's the confident expectation you got to have with God in your life if you're going to have enduring faith you got to trust in God and his will and no matter what happens in your life, you got to trust in confidence with him, in Him to know He is in control. And whatever God does or whatever God doesn't do, I believe in Him. It's bedrock in my heart. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting in God regardless of what you see or the circumstances you have. You live it and you live it by faith. Verse 2 gives us the witnesses of this reality. I love this part because we're going to talk about more of these throughout the week. But let's just take verse 2. It says, for by it, talking about the persevering faith, for by that persevering faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. The word elders could mean age and it could mean older. Here it's describing those of the, of the faith that had gone before them. And in chapter 11, anybody who studied chapter 11 knows this is like the hall of faith, right? This is the hall of fame for the faith people who believed in God. We're going to read about Moses. We're going to read about Abraham and David and all those. We're going to take a look at all those. But the point being is that they persevered and trusted in God and it obtained for them a what? A good testimony. Now, now a good testimony means that it pleased the Lord. It pleased those who were around them to see that they were unshakable and immovable. Not that they had a perfect life, but that their life was challenged and they still trusted in God. They still persevered in their, in their walk with the Lord. And I don't know about you, but these are two things we should strive for in our life. We ought to pray all the time, let me live a life of a testimony to those who are around me. Let me live my life in such a way, trusting in Jesus Christ and who God is, that my family will know the bedrock of my heart is God. And that I trust in Him. We ought to live that way in our church. 
No matter what comes against us or what happens in us, that we trust in a God who is in control of all things. And regardless of the temptation, regardless of the trials, we, we trust in the Lord and we're good testimonies to one another. We ought to do that in our community as well. We ought to do that in our marriages. And for you and for me, when we walk by faith, it encourages other believers. They look and they say, if they could do it, I can do it as well. It encourages them. It gives you a good testimony. And secondly, not only a good testimony for others, it testifies to God and His goodness. It says He obtained a good testimony before God. It is one thing to be honored by man. It's a whole other thing to be honored by God, right? God could see the things that other people don't see. And when we, when we endure in our faith and we trust in God, regardless of what happens in our life, we have this bedrock confidence in Him. We live a life that's pleasing to those who are around us and pleasing to God Himself. And He says, the just shall live by faith. They walk by faith. And listen, you think back through the Old Testament. You read through this chapter right here. There's no honor in those who walk back on their commitment to God. God is not propping up those who has a testimony that they didn't endure in the faith. God doesn't have a testimony of those who didn't obtain a good report from others and those. And for us and for me and for you, we ought to pray all the time, God, complete your work in me. Let me be enduring faith. Let me finish strong. I don't want to be a quitter. I don't want to be one who falls out, right? I want to be like Paul. He got to the end of his life. He says, man, I have fought the good fight and I have finished my race. He said, I have endured to the end. And whether it was good or whether it was bad, I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What a testimony. And for you and your life, no matter what your circumstances is, no matter what comes in your heart or your life, your desire should burn that your faith in God is unshakable and unmovable. And it witnesses to those who are around you and it obtains for you a good testimony to the Lord. Because that's what He wants for you. That's what He wants for me. And this desire in our heart should be that God has not abandoned you. God does not walk back on His commitments or promises. God has a purpose and a plan. And even when we don't see it by sight, we got to walk by faith. we got to trust that it's good no matter when it's not good in our own mind or our own thinking. I was thinking of these passages this uh, that we're reading this morning. And I was thinking of areas in our life. And I wanted to apply them to our everyday life. Areas that I think we're most vulnerable in our walk with the Lord and not enduring in our faith. Where we need it the most to endure in our faith. And so I came up with three areas. One is forgiveness of sins. Now I've talked about this a little bit, but I want to drill down on this. You know, we are not perfect as Christians. You know, as a Christian, when you confess Jesus Christ and He comes into your heart and you're declared righteous before God and you have that position, you should sin less. No doubt about it. Two words, right? You should sin less, but you will never be sinless, right? You will never get to a point to where you do not sin. You will always be tempted and tried and we will fail. Every married person in here better not raise their hand when I ask if you've never sinned after you've been saved because you know you're lying, right? And your spouse knows it and they're going to tell on you, okay? But listen, it doesn't matter. As we come before the Lord, we know there are times in our life when we're going to struggle and we're going to sin. We're going to mess up. We're going to fall to the temptation and fall short of what God has called us to do. And when that happens, there's a separation in our fellowship with the Lord. 
And I didn't say relationship, I said fellowship, right? What happens is we grieve the Holy Spirit or we quench the Holy Spirit in our life. And we're convicted of this and we feel the separation from God in our spirit. And in that time, we're very vulnerable to the enemy and to our own heart. And all of a sudden, guilt and shame begins to heap up in our lives. And all of a sudden, it creeps up on you and it begins to, it begins to say things to you. And, and it begins to, to speak into your life like, look how many times you have failed. You're such a failure. Why? How in the world could God love you? How could God forgive you again? God doesn't love you. How, how in the world you're always going to fail? How do you call yourself a Christian? Let me tell you, that kind of guilt and shame will eat your lunch. I know it because it happens in my life. And, and you start thinking, well, maybe I don't deserve God's grace. Maybe I don't deserve God's love. And the temptation is to give in and walk down that path of shame. Let me tell you, you know what that does? It robs you of your joy and it robs you of your peace. And eventually it will keep you from desiring to live for God. That's what it does. You won't want to read your Bible. You won't want to pray. You won't want to be around God's people. You won't want nothing to do with God. And you will try to push him out of everything in your life because you have guilt and shame because you don't truly believe in the forgiveness of God in your life. But persevering faith says not so. Persevering says that persevering faith says, yes, I sin and I confess it and I know that God is faithful and just to forgive me of that sin. Does that sound familiar? One of my favorite verses I love to quote to you guys is 1 John 1, 9. It says, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Listen, as we confess, he is faithful to forgive and this morning, I stand before you as a forgiven man, not a perfect man. I have confessed my sins, and Jesus was faithful to forgive me of my sins, and it's under the blood of Jesus Christ, and you can do that as well in your heart and your life. Are you going to live by enduring faith, or are you going to let guilt and shame keep you from serving the Lord? There's so many times I get to people and I talk to them, and they say, well, you just don't know what I've done. I can't forgive myself. And I always say, if God can forgive you and his standards are so much higher than your standards, then who are you to not forgive yourself, right? Listen, God has forgiven you. He will forgive you. And enduring faith says, I trust in that. And let me tell you, you're not going to make it far in life if you don't uh, grasp the understanding of God's forgiveness. And I love God's forgiveness of sins, right? I love what the Old Testament says about it. We, we were singing about it, the blood of Jesus earlier that washes our sins away. And it puts a, and he forgives our sins. And in, in, in the book of Proverbs, it says that he takes our sins and he puts them into the sea of forgetfulness, right? And one country preacher says, and he posts a sign that says, no more fishing, right? Once they're under the blood, they're out of our life. And there's forgiveness you can have in the Lord. And maybe you've been walking in shame. You know you're a Christian, but you've given in and you believed the lie of the devil that you are not forgiven before the Lord this morning. You can endure in your walk with faith. And I encourage you to confess your sins and know you have been forgiven in the Lord because he is faithful to do that. That's what enduring faith is. I think of the second area and that's persecution and trials. Let me just say from the beginning that a Christian life is not easy, right? I think one of the biggest lies propagated by the last several decades of Christianity is if you become a Christian, that you'll have an easy life, right? You'll not have any opposition or trials. Your marriage will be perfect. Your health will be great. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? We call it the prosperity gospel. 
You'll never have a problem with your job. You'll never have a problem with your family. You'll never have a problem with your health. You'll never get cancer. You'll never get uh, any, any sort of financial trouble. And God is just going to come into your life. He's going to bless, 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 bless you. And you're going to be too blessed to be stressed, right? You'll never have anything wrong in your life. And you know what? That's really cool. And I really love to believe that. But there's a thing called reality, right? How many of, of you has that worked out for? Listen, the storms are going to come. The, the, the rain is going to come. The trials are going to come. The persecution is going to come. And if you have that type of theology, when that comes, your faith in God is going to be shattered. And you're going to say, God is not good. And God is punishing me. And the truth is that through that process, you're going to realize that you can have trials and tribulations and God can still love you. You can have trials and tribulations and God may not deliver you, but he still loves you. You can have trials and tribulations and get all sorts of things in your life and you face this opposition is, and the enduring faith says, no matter how tough it is, no matter how bad it is, I'm going to trust in God regardless of what I'm walking through. That's what enduring faith is. Enduring faith says that during those times and trials, I'm not going to walk away from God. I'm going to draw near to God. That's what enduring faith is. And the question is in your life, not if you're going to face troubles and trials, but when you face troubles and trials, what are you going to do? Are you going to endure by faith or are you going to walk by sight? If you walk by sight, you're not going to walk very far because it's going to eat your lunch. But if you walk by faith and trust in God, you got to know that his plan and his purpose is the best for your life. It is the best. Most of you know that I've shared this before on my phone. I have an alarm at Romans 8.28. Is a verse that I love. And each time, two times a day, I quote this verse every, at 828 every morning and every evening. It says this, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. You see that word know right there? We know that's the same word as faith. That we have concrete evidence that God is who He says He is. And we know that He works all things together for good. It doesn't say all things are good. It says He works them together for good. And in your life, good, bad, or indifferent, God takes those and He either causes them in your life or He allows them in your life. And He works them together for good. That in the end result, when it's all said and done, it will be for your good. And it will be for those who love God. And it's good for those who are called according to His purpose. That's the promise you got to have. That's the promise you got to hang on to when you think you have no hope. That's the promise you got to hang on to when you think, I can't take another step or walk another day. You can't do it in your physical sense. And you can't do it walking by sight. But you can do it by walking by faith. You can have a bedrock understanding and concrete evidence that God is who he says he is. And one day he will work it out for your good. And even in the darkest valleys, you can still trust in the Lord. And you can walk through it with an unshakable faith in God. Third thing is the reality of death. I, I, I talk to people all the time. And when death impacts someone's life, it really shakes them up. Uh, someone said death is the bully on the block to life. And in your life, however old you are, at some point in your life, you're going to realize that you are going to have more days behind you than you do in front of you, right? And you're going to realize that you're going to have to be prepared to die. 
And death sometimes is scary, and death sometimes is so final. And when death comes into our life, sometimes it knocks us off our feet, and we think about our own lives, and it begins to force us to realize our life is going to end as well. And as we look to this death, we think, what happens after death? Because God has said, God has put eternity in everyone's heart and everyone knows there is something beyond this life. There's something beyond when we die, what happens to us. And, and the promise that we got to have and enduring in our faith is that we trust what the Bible says. And it says that if you trust in Jesus Christ, you shall not perish, but you will have everlasting life. The, the promise we have is not what's in this world. The promise that we have is after this world. This is the kingdom that we are heading to that the Bible describes the promises we have in the Lord. And one day we will be in his presence for eternity. And the world says there's no hope because death is final. But the Bible says death is not final. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning for me and you. But, but, but faith says that we trust in Jesus and we will not perish and we'll live with him for eternity. Sight says we will die and we give up all these things in life and it's going to be miserable. No, the launching point for us as a believer is death. And our last breath here on earth is our first breath in heaven in eternity with God. Think about that. And that should compel us. That should compel us like Paul had come to the conclusion of his life. And he was talking about the resurrection. And we'll talk about that soon for Easter as well. And he proclaimed, oh, death, where is your sting? He was getting to the end of his life and he realized whether I'm alive, I'm with God. And whether I die, I'm going to be with God too. It's a win-win. And no matter what happens, he has victory in God. And we must not let death ruin our life as well. Listen, death of a loved one or death with someone in your life, we've got to have that faith that the reality of death may hit us physically and our bodies may waste away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And one day, in that final day, we will live with God in eternity. We've got to have that kind of faith, unshakable and unmovable, that we trust in the next life and we live for eternity more than we live for this life. That's a tough conclusion, but that's the way it's got to be. And you got to ask yourself, are you walking by faith? In your life, are you walking by faith? Because if you're not, you're not going to persevere. That's what he says. The just shall live by faith. And faith doesn't change who God is. It changes who you are. I, I say faith is like a telescope. By the way, have you seen the sky lately and the night sky? I mean, the moon last uh, week has been, I mean, uh, unbelievable, right? And then the two planets, someone told me they were Venus and Jupiter, right? And you look at them, you see them with the natural eye, and they look millions of miles away. But if you, were, if you get a telescope, you can focus in on them even more, right? As you focus in on them, it becomes so magnified that those planets look like they're right there in front of your face, right? But if you zoom out on them, it looks like they're so far away. That's what faith does. When you don't have faith in God and trust in the Lord, it's like God is far away. And you see everything and everything impacts your life. But if you have persevering faith, you focus on God. And He becomes the lens of, your, of what you see everything else through the world through. And God is so close into your life. He impacts every decision of your life that you've magnified God to a point to where He is the, he is the, the biggest thing in your life. And from His viewpoint, you see all things. And enduring faith magnifies God and adjust your focus, and the world will fade away, and all you see is God. And that's what true faith is. Regardless of your circumstances, you're focused on God, 
and you have a confident expectation that God will do what he says because of the overwhelming evidence of his reality that's already been proven in your life and throughout history. That's what faith is. And he tells us, the just shall live by faith. Are you living by faith this morning? Let's pray together. Dear Father, we do come before you this morning, Lord. And God, I do pray for our lives and our hearts. Lord, first and foremost, I pray for maybe someone who's never truly trusted in Jesus Christ. They've never been justified. I pray this morning as they come to realize that they're never going to make it to heaven on their own works or their own deeds. The Bible has clearly said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes me. That includes every single person will not make it to heaven without Jesus Christ. And if we confess that, we believe that, we trust in the work and person of Jesus Christ, the Bible says we become born again. And literally, literally this morning, you can become born again. You don't have to join this church. You don't have to walk down this aisle. You don't have to tell anyone. You, right where you sit, you can just say a prayer like this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm trusting in you to save me. And from this point forward, I want to live my life for you. Express that to the Lord. And that's, what, that's what's called the sinner's prayer. And some sort of uh, thing in your heart, in your life, as you feel that or you trust in that, you express that faith in him. The Bible says you become justified just as if you had never sinned. You become friends with God. You are made in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ and your confession of that. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're a Christian. You have been walking a life of shame and guilt. And you really don't believe and you haven't been walking out the faith to know that God does forgive. That yes, you've made mistakes and yes, you have made uh, uh, some bad uh, things in your life. Listen, I've never went to Jesus Christ to where he's pushed me away. Not one time. Every single time I've called upon the name of Jesus Christ, he's always been there for me. And he'll be there for you as well. This morning, as you confess your sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This morning, maybe you just need to say, Lord, I'm tired of this guilt and shame. I want to be close to you again. I want to draw close to you, Lord. And I want to walk by faith, not in my shame and not in my guilt, but in your promises that you have forgiven me. And this morning, you could do that. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're struggling with some situation in your life and you're not walking by faith. And your faith has been shaken and your faith is in the Lord and his plan has been uh, put to the test. And I pray this morning, may you be encouraged. May you be encouraged to know that he takes all things and works them together for good. You may not see it right now, but in the end picture that you don't even understand or you can't even describe that God will be glorified, that it will be for your good. It will be for those who are around you and their good as well, that you can take one more step as you leave this place, you can trust in God one more day. And you can say, Lord, I'm going to trust in your plan over my plan 100%. And whatever that plan is, regardless of those circumstances or outcomes, I'm going to trust in you and I'm going to persevere in my faith. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're just struggling with death and you realize that someday you're going to die. Or maybe someone in your family has died and you say, is there life after death? It's so final. There's such an emptiness and such a, such a, grief, a grief in my life. Man, I pray this morning, may God just encourage your heart to know that eternal life lasts forever. And this life is but a vapor. That what we do here is just for a, a temporary moment, but what is in eternity is forever and ever and ever. 
And I pray that we'll live with that kind of perspective in our heart and our life as we come to the matter of death. And I pray that we will be able to shout like, Paul, where is your victory, death? Because we know that we, those who trust in Jesus will live in, in eternal life and shall not perish. Lord, I pray this morning as we have this time of invitation and commitment, we're going to play a song. And right where you sit, I just encourage you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed and just seek the Lord for a few moments and just say, Lord, here's my heart. Speak to me this morning. I want to be encouraged by your word and just, uh, just speak to me this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.